0: Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. It's July twentieth, and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web three. I'm Matthew Housebarby, and as always, I'm here with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin?
1: Well, Matt, my portfolio is doing better than it was last week. I can at least say that
0: <laughs> we're rich again. It's great <laughs> for 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 maybe a few days, but we're you yeah. know uh, probably shouldn't have. Uh, least the uh, the Lambo, but you know, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll take what we can. Uh, but yeah, things are certainly looking up at least, and we got a few stories here to maybe explain a little bit why we're seeing this um, this uptick in the market. Uh, of course, we will balance any hope with more. Bad news, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure we get that in. So don't worry. Don't 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 assume that this is going to be a positive uh, episode. We'll try and make sure that we end on a downer at least. Um, and yeah, I'm just holding out, Austin, for the end to hope that there is some news from Portugal because I have been just waiting <laughs> and waiting and waiting. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll jump into all of our stories of the day right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I've something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. We're back to being bullish. So ETH is up. It's up big. Nearly 50% now in the past seven days. This is pretty positive. And I think we're all... uh, a little shocked that that we're seeing such a rally happening, but there's a reason. There is a reason as to where all of this hope is coming from. And it's relating to the merge. Uh, so the merge has a quote unquote tentative go live date. I think we've heard that before um, <laughs> of September 19th of this year. So pretty much two months from, uh, from now this was uh this was actually announced by Tim Baker, the one of the lead organizers of the the core devs at Ethereum Foundation. This was a like uh, a call that he was on last Thursday and um as part of like consensus layer. And you know, there was a there was a follow-up tweet that reaffirmed this by one of the other core developers, uh superfizz.eth. Um, and they they then said and I'll, I'll quote this verbatim. This merge timeline isn't final, but it's extremely exciting to see it coming together. Please regard this as a planning timeline and look out for official announcements. Um, well, it seems people don't care about whether it's tentative or whether it's uh, just a planning timeline or whether it's not even final. People have decided. The people have spoken. This is final. <laughs> this this is happening. And, you know, we've actually talked about this a little earlier this year. I think when we had an episode and the merge was supposed to be happening in July, I think then more recently there was an August date. Again, it was pushed back, pushed back again. Uh, I mean, it seems to have been pushed back continuously for the past couple of years. I think the reason why there is a little bit more conviction and hope that this is going to actually happen in on September 19th or at least in September is the fact that as we mentioned in uh, past couple of episodes there have been successful merges that have uh, taken place on a couple of the different test nets uh, so I think this just gives a lot more promise to the fact that this could actually happen and if you're listening right now and you're thinking and you're wondering to yourself, what the hell is the merge um well The merge is probably the most significant event that we've been waiting for in certainly the Ethereum ecosystem. And I would argue probably the biggest thing in crypto since the whole kind of block size debate of Bitcoin and the switch to Segwit and everything that happened there um, back in that 2017, I think that happened and the whole like, yeah, B-cash long time mo- ago, yeah, long time. Uh, remember us talking about that back then as well. So, yeah. <clears throat> the, well, l- let me give you a bit of a, a, a quick primer for anyone listening that doesn't know what the merge is. The merge, in short, is basically it's, it's migrating and ch- completely changing the consensus mechanism of the Ethereum blockchain from what it is today, which is proof of work. And proof of work ultimately is a consensus mechanism that. Uses pretty significant amount of energy. This is this is the crux of the argument of like the environmental argument against Ethereum and obviously Bitcoin and any other proof of work blockchains. Um, uses a huge amount of computational power and as a result, a lot of energy. What's well, switching from proof of work to proof of stake? Proof of stake has none of these high. Um, energy resource intensive um, mechanisms in place, basically reduces the, the carbon footprint to a nominal amount, be just like running another kind of uh, desktop machine, because all of the consensus is dictated through putting capital at risk versus putting um, computing power and hardware at risk. So without going into all the details there this is a monumental shift and i think if this is successful it will be an enormous step forward for for eth uh, in particular on the just environmental concerns uh certainly for adoption i think the the big positive or certainly from my mind right another big positive here comes from after the merge takes place, assuming it does, and it's all successful. Uh, Lido, which is the liquid staking platform, we've talked about this previously. They are the ones that offer uh, staked ETH, uh, (STETH). Um, they'll begin redemptions of staked ETH. I think this will actually happen like a few months after the merge, maybe near the end of the year, assuming merge happens in September, uh, where you'll be able to swap in one staked ETH, for one ETH, um, and what we started to see is the price of staked ETH against ETH has actually been rising over the past few days um, on on the ne- uh, the news of the merge. I think we talked Austin about three weeks ago about the whole like um, big disparity in price. I think it was like something like a seven percent discount on ETH if you just bought staked ETH at the time. So gr- people have been obviously buying lots of staked ETH in the run-up to a potential merge, knowing that they can then redeem that for not only the additional 7% kind of like discount that, that they got on there, but you also gain yield on top of it. So it actually net out closer to like the uh, 10 to 12% um, gain just on having staked ETH. So that's pretty great. I guess the main question we need to ask ourselves is do we believe that kind of this momentum in the market can maintain during the wider kind of macro conditions? Because it's pumping everything right now. Bitcoin's pumping, altcoins are pumping, ETH is on a tear, which is the most understandable piece. And obviously ETH will drag up the wider ecosystem when it does. But I'm seeing a lot of people that were very much down in the dumps even just a few days ago, Now, all of a sudden, FOMOing back into all kinds of things right now. It's just, it's amazing how this can change
1: the sentiment, especially on crypto Twitter, right? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, I I think that, of course, this is, you know, what's happening with Ethereum right now is it is separate from greater market factors, which suggests that there are some fundamentals that are real that are driving this, but I think long-term, um, eth and certainly the altcoins that are being picked up in the uh the wake of all of this they're going to be subject to macro conditions right Agreed. um so if the macro conditions improve then you know i expect that the eth will continue to improve and perhaps be in an even stronger position for it um If they don't, then of course, ETH is still going to be affected by it. But what could be interesting, and we'll see how, you know, things work as we come out of this, is that ETH may be still affected by the macro conditions, but perhaps to a lesser extent because of its fundamentals. So we'll see. One thing that I do want to plug though, because I think that Matt, that distinction that you were talking about between proof of work and proof of stake is so important to really understanding the merge and the grand implications of it back in season one. And now this is years ago at this point, Hmm. uh, season one, episode eight, we had an episode called what is Ethereum and we broke this down to its fundamentals. All of this content, even from back then is actually still relevant to now that's how long we've been building up to this. So if you would like to better understand really what is proof of work and what is proof of stake, Head back to season one, episode eight. There are a couple other episodes as well where we talk about this, but that's really the one where we dig in. And um, you can you can get a, a pretty good foundational understanding for how all of this works.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like even in like 2018, we were talking about Ethereum's, like it wasn't called the merge back then, but uh, I think for a long time, we were talking about like ETH 2.0 was like a narrative. And then just right. part of that, I mean, it all stemmed from this grand plan of moving to proof of stake which um which which is worth noting that you know proof of stake is actually pretty common uh relatively common consensus mechanism used by blockchains um it's definitely not as widely adopted as proof of work but it it like it, it works out in the wild i don't think it's ever been tested at the scale of ethereum but pretty close to but you know, Ethereum's enormous. Um, the the big concern has always been like, will we be able to merge this kind of moving train basically and shift it over into kind of the new beacon chain, the new um, proof, of, uh, proof of stake chain. So <clears throat> it's going to be really interesting. What I'm kind of interested about in the short term here, and uh, this is all really just like speculation is right now, we have a very strong narrative. Uh, the narrative is towards the uh, the merge happening and i think when you look at like a price action perspective there it, like there's actually a very logical reasonable way that you would look at like why eth would pump in such crazy macro conditions right like and actually like it makes a whole lot of sense up to up to the merge right the, there there's a lot of like big arb Opportunities in just like purchasing staked ETH at this time. And with it being successful, all of like the node and validator fees that are going to be re- realized during all of this. So there's a clear moment where you say, okay, this pump actually does make sense to me. What I am very interested to see what happens is, assuming that the merge does happen, because I think if there's, I will also clarify this one thing that I'm absolutely certain of is if the debt, if the if this date of September 19th gets like pushed back a month, there will be a mass sell-off um, for sure. That's what's happened pretty much after every time this has been pushed back. But if it happens, what happens in the months after the merge? Will we see mm-hmm. kind of the sustained rally around it? Or, you know, w- what's the narrative then to combat kind of like, like you mentioned, Austin, like the fundamentals are actually changing. There's like a, a really strong like fundamental change and narrative change that can combat the macro. When that's completed, I, I think we're back at the mercy of macro. And yeah. I, I do, my take here, and uh, I'd love to be wrong on it, is that, yep, we're going to see a nice short term pump that may last up to the merge and maybe a little bit more, maybe shorter than that. But um, I don't see this being us back to bear market territory. I still think it's going to be uh, another year plus before we start to see what we would kind of look at as like sustained kind of growth in any way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. This is not going to kickstart a bull market even within ETH. It's going to take a while to get out of the woods. We've got a big macro environment that is a lot larger than crypto, even though, you know, in our corner of the world, it seems like that's such a significant component of it. Um, There's a lot going on outside of this as well. So.
0: Yeah. Well, why don't we jump into something that is going on inside and is kind of bleeding outside the crypto space in our second story of the day?
1: Back in early July, we covered that Three Arrows Capital had filed for bankruptcy. Last week, we covered that Celsius had filed for bankruptcy. Uh, there are a lot of bankruptcies happening. And there's some more details that have come out specifically on the Three Arrows Capital bankruptcy, which is that they owe roughly $3.5 billion to creditors, including, get this, Matt, this is my favorite part, billion dollars to genesis alone oh my goodness (laughs) this is not good why
0: why do we have to constantly hear these absolutely ridiculous things yeah this is not great uh, yeah i'd firmly i'd firmly categorize this under not great
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's just amazing the size of that loan so if you break this down $3.5 $3.5 billion across 27 different companies, including Blockchain.com, Voyager Digital, we've heard that name before. Resting.
0: Rest in peace. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> and uh, Genesis Global Trading. And this is according to the court documents. But over 67% or $2.3 billion of Three Arrows Capital's multi billion dollar debt is owed to that one creditor alone, <laughs> which is Genesis. And that loan was under collateralized. And had a margin requirement of 80%. So it's not looking good there. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just so, it's just unbearably reckless. It, it really yeah. is. Uh, it, Yeah, I think we're kind of past the point of being in disbelief at this point. It's, it's now completely believable, which is, <laughs> it's, that's the only piece that it becomes slightly unbelievable of how believable this all is.
1: Yeah, I know. And I I know that last week we were like, oh, we're probably out of the woods with collapses and everything like that. This one, I think, ended up being a little bit larger than we initially anticipated it would be and could have some additional domino effects. But get this, on July 13th, it's it looks like Kyle Davies, who is one of the co-founders of 3AC, tried to borrow another 5,000 Bitcoin, which at the time was worth around $125 million from Genesis, quote, to pay a margin call to another lender. And this is according to an affidavit that was filed on June 26th with testimony from blockchain.com's chief strategy officer, Charles McGarrah. Uh, This is a common characteristic of a Ponzi scheme. Oh Austin, have you ever watched the film um, Margin
0: Call before?
1: Oh yeah, oh Uh, my gosh.
0: Which is just like an an incredibly classic film around like the subprime crisis where it's just like the plot is basically this, which is just like in Margin Call, they're selling off and and is actually just like based obviously on the actual collapse of 2008 where large investment firms were selling off all of their bad subprime mortgages, trying to get out the door first and offload them onto other people that then basically got burned. This is just... like Carl Davis is just borrowing and I mean more the fool anyone that actually lends the money but you know borrowing from one lender to pay another knowing that it's just basically passing the buck to someone else there's going to be a default no matter what it's it's unbelievable that someone would even do this I mean it screams desperation that's what it screams
1: yeah it definitely does um and I think that there's Even more characteristics of that. So reportedly, Kyle and Su Su, who was the other co-founder of Three Arrows Capital, had numerous investments under the names of family members. And this includes two residences in Singapore worth $48 $48 million and $28 million a piece. And I'm sure that, get was, this.
0: Uh, I'm sure that was just a small, small little uh, <laughs> one bedroom apartment, maybe uh, something, yeah, something yeah. really yeah. modest. Yeah.
1: It's a supplement to the yacht, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you could
0: probably park your yacht in it is I imagine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. But uh, my favorite part is that in the bankruptcy filing, Sue Zhu, who is a co-founder of Three Arrows Capital, is seeking $5 million and Kyle Davies' wife, who is not a co-founder of Three Arrows Capital is seeking $65 million? <laughs> How does that happen?
0: <laughs> I I love that Suzu is seeking $5 million. Yeah. Just like, oh my God, the couples therapy that Kyle Davis is gonna go through on this one is gonna be <laughs> monumental. I think that's gonna be the there's gonna be damages that are gonna need to be sought after for just covering that. Uh, like, what is happening here? Did, I think I shared this with you yesterday. Did you see Suzu's tweet? that he shared out uh where yeah he was like i just the lack of awareness here where he's like um let me find the tweet because it's just unbelievable it was like there was um yeah so there was this tweet by uh by an individual who i don't know i think is like a government official or something where it was um uh, by a philanthropist yeah and it, they were talking about how um the the paris agreement was a necessary step to address climate change and susie retweets this with with the with the caption climate change talk is cheap but sailing the seven seas on your yacht as an international fugitive is expensive i mean i just talk about poking the bear here is i who, what goes through someone's mind when they think in amongst all of this, it's a good idea to to tweet something like that out. I think this just shows me more than anything. And uh, I began typing up actually some uh, an article around this recently where it's just like, we just have this enormous cult leader problem in the Web3 space. It extends to more than just Web3 but uh, and into wider tech. But just, I think just, the some of these individuals, Suzu and Co, uh, are definitely in this bucket. where they just they think they're invincible, and they are going to face a reckoning from from all of this. It's uh, it's 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 crazy.
1: Yeah, truly wild uh, to see things like that coming out <laughs> of somebody as they're being chased around the world. Oh man,
0: <laughs> good times, good times. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, shall we jump into our third story? Of the day. This story comes as Binance has just flipped Coinbase to become the exchange with the most BTCs, the most Bitcoins held globally. Um, this isn't necessarily like a big measure that, that we look at, but um, it's it's worth noting. You know, Binance is by far and away the largest exchange by just trading volume, but Coinbase has always had far more BTC that's just held uh, than they have. And this this has recently changed with Binance now kind of flipping Coinbase. There was a good chart that I saw on Glassnode that we can share out maybe on Twitter, um, where, you know, for the longest time, there was an enormous gulf in how many Bitcoins Coinbase had held. Um, They obviously had a big head start on them. And then it's like we get into like 2021, there's this drastic reversal that's starting to happen and closing in. And then just recently, uh, Binance has flipped Coinbase. And I think like, so that in itself is is kind of interesting. But then when you also combine in this, and we've been talking about CoinDesk quite a lot recently, but on, the, on another note of where kind of Coinbase has had, I think some just like negative um, data come in, especially around like a market share signal, is Uniswap, so the, the decentralized exchange, and Coinbase now have pretty close to uh, equal daily trading volume, which is a very big deal, right? And the, the shift is come largely from decentralized exchanges in general eating up more and more of like the stablecoin exchange market so we think things like uniswap curve places like that and in the most recent kind of market conditions people have been changing and exchanging stable coins a lot more or at least even moving in and out of stable coins and then also I mean, I've definitely noticed this myself, but Ethereum gas fees, I think they are actually at their lowest point since early 2020. So it's just making kind of trades on the likes of decentralized exchanges much cheaper and cheaper even than just doing those trades for those like nominal fees that you would often get on Coinbase and other centralized exchanges um, that start now to see seem more expensive. Um, <clears throat> now, I will just kind of, Park here and say like Uniswap itself, it accounts for around 80 to 90 percent of the daily trading volume on Ethereum, looking just exclusively at the decentralized exchange marketplace. So not including centralized exchanges like Binance, FTX, Coinbase, etc. But you know, when you when you look at like the overall trading volume, decentralized exchange trading, like it's the, the volume pales into comparison uh when when you look at centralized exchanges so if we take and there was a really good all of this research here was done by um a research firm called keiko i think that's how i pronounce it k-a-i-k-o and um so if we take binance ftx and coinbase which are the top three centralized exchanges by uh trading volume only those three and we compare that with the entire like Ethereum based, which is the largest by far, decentralized exchange marketplace. The whole kind of Dex market share is only eight percent of overall trading volume, so it's tiny. So the fact that Uniswap is actually like matching Coinbase for trading volume is very significant. Very significant, I think. And I saw in like a tweet thread Brian Armstrong kind of saying, Wow, this isn't actually." perfectly accurate because coinbase wallet facilitates lots of those trades which often then are routed through uniswap but still that's still a trade that goes through a decentralized exchange so i think this is quite significant and uh i think with all of like the news around coinbase at the moment i still feel confident that coinbase will be a massive player long term in this space but I think more and more signs are pointing towards troubles, at least in them being able to establish like uh, market share.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we, you know, what's interesting about this as well is that during the first quarter of 2022, Coinbase's market share of global trading volume was hanging out around five and a half percent, fairly steady. Mm. And in fact, it even peaked around eight to nine percent back in November of 2021. But as of July, it's dropped below three percent. So that's, that's it doesn't yeah, yeah, it, it it does spell some shaky waters ahead. Um Coinbase was ranking is now ranking fourteenth in average trading volume by dollars as of this month, and that's down from fourth last November. So and definitely I think some F- concerns.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like FTX. Yeah, well so if I actually if we go even back further than that, I think when when Binance launched their exchange, they, they were pretty they were pretty late in the game. I could be slightly off on this, but I want to say that Binance launched like was it twenty seventeen? Maybe I, I, it was it was definitely relatively recent. But yeah. um, <clears throat> I may be off on slight things. But the 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 head start twenty seventeen. You're right. Oh, was it? Okay, so yeah, so yeah. it was twenty seventeen, right? So um, Coinbase had an enormous head start pretty much like entire market share they were leading the way the fact that now binance has flipped them and and just to just to clarify it to drill this point further it's not like binance has like just slightly pipped coinbase to uh, to the top binance accounts for somewhere in the region of like 60 and 70 percent of the entire market it is enormous and coinbase, uh, has now just faced over the, those years, a lot stiffer competition. Um, and I think what they're starting to see a lot more now is big competitors that have like consumer brand recognition starting to come up. I know there's like a lot of like Huobi and stuff like that, like the Asian exchanges that probably are never going to really penetrate like the, the regular investors of like the U S and Western markets. FTX, on the other hand, I think are going after them pretty hard, and I think that that is much more of a worry for them than the likes of um, of Binance. And I, I had a really good take, and I, I really can't remember whether this was Twitter or I had it on another podcast, but they kind of said that the one of the, the mistakes they believe Coinbase has, has made was, you know, when... Back in like their early days when they probably should have started listing more tokens, they didn't. And now during like the the latter stages where they should be much more picky around listing tokens, they've gone the opposite direction. And it's like hmm. really hurt them. I mean, for how long was it that you could basically only buy, I think? Yeah, it was years. Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I think they added Bcash and then Eth Classic, but for such a long time it was uh, such a small number. And now, I mean, they list all kinds of things in there, and yeah, yeah it's a. It, I, I, I think it is. They they face challenges for sure.
1: I I totally agree. It feels like you know, I mean, to me it feels like once a week on average, I, I there there's a new listing on mm-hmm. Coinbase, and that is just such a shift from years ago. And I will admit that back when Coinbase was taking a more sort of protective and conservative approach, it made a lot of sense to me because yeah. of the consumer protection aspect of it. And so I don't know, it's it's certainly unintuitive, but I do think that that's an interesting take. It makes a lot of sense. And it feels like there is an air of desperation in that the reversal from that. And maybe it is a little too late. But at the same time, speaking of Coinbase and three euros capital and <laughs> all, all of these issues. Um, one thing that Coinbase has gotten right is that they haven't really had any exposure to these, um, defaults and bankruptcies that are happening, which is actually something that a lot of folks were worried about. It turns out yep. that Coinbase, um, was, you know, did, did their due diligence, um, And, uh, yeah, there is a benefit to being a publicly traded company that has to disclose (laughs) (laughs) actually has to do
0: things kind of transparently.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And I think like maybe, um, I, I think there's probably a good argument to say that that has really helped them during like this, like crisis to not make bad decisions, especially where you could imagine that if they were scrambling for market share, they could have overstepped and overreached themselves. And maybe on the other side of the coin, where they've had to be more conservative in areas or have had like more regulation that they've had to go through, they haven't been as nimble as some of the newer market entrants like FTX and co that have just been, yeah, like they're they're kind of the cool kids on the block now, right? And like SBF is a huge risk taker. I don't think SBF and like FTX in general could make some of like the bold plays if they were at the mercy of, um, the, of being a public company. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one.
1: Absolutely. So with that said, more news related to this market turmoil to come in our wrap up up next. The temperatures are heating up for Celsius. That that firm that we talked about last week that has entered into bankruptcy, they have just recently acknowledged a $1.2 billion hole in their balance sheet. I'll also acknowledge
0: that that was one of your better puns. I'll give you that one. (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. And very timely. (laughs) uh, 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 Very timely with London hitting a... Did you see an all-time... like? record temperature uh that's ever been recorded so yeah you know we're we're on theme here sorry go ahead i just needed to give you some recognition for that hey
1: matt you know i bring the portugal news and you bring the british temperature news and that's what people listen to us for (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, please review us on all major podcast platforms and let us know how you enjoy those 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 segments. Uh, so <laughs> go, go ahead, Austin. <laughs>
1: so uh, a 1.2 billion dollar hole—that's incredible. If you look at Celsius bankruptcy filings, it shows that they hold 4.3 billion dollars of assets and 5.5 billion dollars in liabilities. So that leaves- seems like a healthy business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is gnarly, man. And uh, it, we'll link to the uh, the the actual screenshot of their balance sheet. It's remarkable. But in their list of assets, they actually also claim that they have about $600 million in CEL, which is their token. Yeah. However, um, they, they noted in their filing that the total market cap for that token as of July 12th was roughly $170 million. So uh, the hole may be larger than even what we're reporting now it's the point is it's not looking good certainly um more will continue to unfold with celsius that we're going to be covering well the uh, and there's another important thing because i've seen a lot of misinformation about like the whole like uh cel token
0: or cell token whatever Uh, actually that's more aptly named cell token um but their so their native token there has actually been going up in price and not nosediving, even after all of these um, uh, announcements around like bankruptcy, etc., cetera, it makes no sense. And like people have been speculating, oh, is this like whales playing games? No, th- this is not the case. That the reason why this hasn't been going down in price is that Celsius hold the lion's share of all of these tokens. Without large sell-offs. The token price won't go down. That's how a token price goes down. And uh, there was a really great like uh, deep dive into this from Masari. I love the team at Masari and the research they put out. But they did like a good Twitter thread around this. But the the TLDR on this is that you know Celsius may have claimed they have yeah six hundred million dollars of their cell uh, token on their balance sheet. Even if it's worth one hundred and seventy million, it it should be zero. They cannot sell that. No one's going to buy it. There won't be liquidity. They can't sell it off, so it is a null asset. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just crazy to me that this still is like noted down as like a, an asset on their on their balance sheet. It's, it's, it's wild.
1: Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Moving from one implosion to another, uh, (laughs) Korean prosecutors have raided seven local crypto exchanges as part of their investigation into Terraform Labs activities, which of course is the Luna Terra collapse that we covered. Gosh, Matt, now it was a couple months ago. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I'm also just thinking here, maybe we should rename this series of the podcast One Implosion to the Another. I actually quite, <laughs> yeah. I think I quite, one episode to the Another is just covering a larger and grander implosion uh, within the space. More I more know,
1: it... Yeah, it is. It is rough. And, I, you know, I, it's something as we were putting together this episode, I was thinking, man, we are covering so much negative news, um, which is, I, I, you know, I think can be somewhat exhausting. And it's frankly not really what I enjoy covering. But there is a lot happening right now that I think, you know, in this bear market we can learn from as we work toward building a more sustainable industry um, and set of platforms and move toward what the next bull market will be. Um, You know, the mania from the bull market gets checked in the bear market and that's effectively what we're going through right now. And uh, Terraform Labs was really no exception to this. In fact, they were really central to a lot of it. So Korean prosecutors, yeah, as I said, they're raiding crypto exchanges. This includes Upbit, Bitham, coin one i haven't heard of all of these but they are uh but i haven't heard of the other ones yeah Yeah. Yeah. There's seven in total though. Um, and then they also conducted raids on other places, including the homes and offices of individuals that were involved in the case. So as we predicted, um, Korean officials are taking this really seriously. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. You know, uh, the world is certainly looking to them and to their Do (laughs) Kwon, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the huge losses, um, that happened here. So that continues to unfold. Yeah.
0: And in more good news. Uh, we've <laughs> we've oh got a, a, oh, uh, so, some more layoffs happening, right? OpenSea is laid off around twenty percent of its uh, of its staff. They're I think taking measures here, preparing for what they what they're calling a prolonged downturn. Um, it, I think the 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 narrative that they're pushing here is it's going to give the company multiple years of of, of runway they said under various like crypto winter scenarios five years of runway current volume that's pretty substantial um i think probably <clears throat> what i'm hearing from a lot of like the vc startup world is that they, they want a very good situation to be in right now is to be kind of capitalised for uh, up to four years, which even then yeah. is quite a long time. I don't know it's if super long any startups that that have that, but it seems like they're they're doing that. But what I um, what I did think was was done well on this front compared to what we've seen other um, layoffs is the the way that they've went around kind of these these layoffs, Austin. Right, so that they've given out. Twelve weeks of severance pay, six months of healthcare coverage, and importantly, accelerated equity vesting, which I think is really, really good. So those individuals that that had outstanding um, option grants, they'll get accelerated uh, vesting, so they don't just lose those upon leaving. And they've been they've been quite active and focusing on like placing those employees into other companies and trying to help a lot more. So. I uh, like layoffs are always really, really tough. And um, sure, I think we can look to maybe some overzealous like hiring in the uh, in, in the markets prior to this. But as tough as it is, it's sometimes necessary. It seems like it, they're going about a terrible situation in a relatively good way. Would you agree, Austin?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I love to see the accelerated equity vesting. I think three months of severance pay is, you know, kind of on par with what we've seen yeah. from other firms that are handling things well. The six months of health care is nice. Uh, yeah, I, I I really feel I, I sound like a broken record at this point, but I just feel terrible for yeah. the people that were affected by this, because I think that so many people Got into, you know, Coinbase and OpenSea, and <laughs> I mean the list is endless at this point mm. of companies that in this space crypto. that have com, laid off. Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and even in FinTech as well, by the way, you know, which had exposure to crypto and and was affected by this. And um, I think Matt, you and I have both seen firsthand like how hardworking and capable and passionate these people are. Um, we've both known people on an individual basis that have been affected by these layoffs. And it's terrible. I mean, there, you know, there are the horror stories of the folks that, you know, got a rescinded offer or got laid off and then had to go back um, to their home country or their country of nationality because um, of their visa situation. And that's, just to me unimaginable. And I, I, I uh, can't even begin to, you know, understand what they're going through, but then, you know, even, even people that are just losing the work that they're passionate about. Like I I was talking to uh, a person that was affected by one of these layoffs that was, just you know saying like i don't i can't even begin to search for another job because i i didn't see myself doing anything else like i really believe in what we were doing like i was going to be there for over 10 years this was that's you know it. like my passion right um I and I it's just it's heartbreaking the, the
0: poignant, I, I think that's the real point here right so it's like you know um i i think this is a little different from you know mass layoffs in like a uh, like a, a GM like factory and people are going to really struggle to ever get employed again and like not put food on their families' tables. Um, I don't want to like downplay the situation, but I think that there is a lot of like hyper talented people with very specific skills and having things like OpenSea on their resume, they're probably going to land on their feet by and large. The thing that I think probably hurts a lot of those individuals is, you know, they they were probably incredibly excited and proud to be working at crypto.com coinbase OpenSea, and they probably like you know that 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 would hurt my like confidence certainly my, myself a little bit uh, you know it's always going to like hurt your ego a, a bit not that that's like the most important thing but i think also yeah you, like you get bought into a vision you you prepare to dedicate like a, a portion of your life to to the mission and yeah, and then it kind of gets removed from you and I think that is probably one of the tough parts of of all of this outside of just like you know finding the new gig and things like that
1: yeah absolutely with all of that said um Finzer the CEO of OpenSea does feel confident that the NFT space will continue to evolve for the better and he said during this winter we'll see an explosion in innovation across the ecosystem of course winter not being the actual season but the crypto winter um, yeah, we'll and I think hope. he's yeah, yeah. I, I think he's right about that. Um, you know, there, there is going to be positivity ahead. But to round us out, Matt, I do have a country slash national level story for you. And it is... For a country that starts with the letter P, but it's not Portugal.
0: <laughs> oh, you yeah. had me there. You had me. Okay, well, I'll take a country beginning with P. What are
1: we going to do we <laughs> got? It's Paraguay. Um, and Paraguay is close to passing legislation that could make it a major Bitcoin mining destination. Their legislature has approved a bill that creates a tax and regulatory framework for crypto mining in the country. And now it's at the point where it just needs to be approved by President Benitez before becoming law. And I know that this probably doesn't really sound like a big deal, but if it does get signed, it is kind of a big deal because miners are flocking to the country for its cheap and green electricity. And the lawmakers there in general seem to really want to make it a crypto hub. In fact, we even saw Canadian mining giant BitFarms announce last year that they were expanding into Paraguay on a five year lease with an annually renewable power purchase agreement to secure 10. Megawatts of green hydropower. So wow. there is a lot happening in Paraguay. There's also some interesting stuff happening in Colombia as well, um, re- related to legislation that we won't go into here. But if you're curious, check it out. Um, definitely, you know, this doesn't put Paraguay and, and Colombia quite to the, the level of commitment that El Salvador uh, and others are at, but it is, you know, part of this general movement in Central and South Latin America um, toward crypto friendly, uh, legislation and, and regulation, which is, I think encouraging. Yeah. And... It
0: kind of feels like a little bit of like musical chairs to a certain extent. We, we, we saw this with, um, was it 2019, 2020, the, like the China Bitcoin mining ban and everyone was like, oh wow. Like this is going to be horrendous for like the, the, the hash rate's going to drop on the blockchain, et cetera. Mining is just going to like collapse. And then what happened is what well, the U S went oh we're going to welcome Bitcoin miners and like the the hash rate like dominance shifted all of those mining operations over into the US. And then we saw like other countries like you know, putting, you know, New York with the the proof of work kind of mining ban and stuff they're putting there, they'll shift. And yeah, so, so we start to see this like kind of like circulating around. I think maybe uh, governments are seeing this and where they can capitalize on some of this. It's, a, it's It's a smart move.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree. I love to see it. All right, last thing that we wanted to mention, Bill Murray the legend has bought a cool cat NFT bullish. for 3.9 ETH. Bullish. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> this is yeah. this is the this is the when will the institutions get into crypto we've all been waiting for. Ah, oh, I am <laughs> bullish now. Bring on the merge. Bring on 10k ETH. Here we go. We're going to the moon people. <laughs>
1: Yes. uh So, if you want to own the same type of asset that Bill Murray does, check out the Cool Cat Project. He bought it for, like I said, three point nine ETH, forty two hundred dollars.
0: That's all that we've got to say bases, today. Uh,
1: did he to buy <laughs> oh the no! <laughs> oh man! <laughs> he could have yeah, doubled that volume.
0: and i think on that note we'll leave it there but uh thanks again austin and uh thanks everyone listening we'll be back next week of course with all the latest news in the world of web 3 see you next week austin